0: Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author, Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. Common Reason Ministries is the sponsor of this program. If you've been listening to this show as of late, you'll know that we're enjoying a seminar recorded live in Texas a few years back called The Power of Love. And in it, Dr. Jennings has been pulling back the curtain on many of the sometimes confusing elements of who God is and how God acts. They're confusing because the devil tries very hard to make them so. But with a proper attitude about God... With the truth about God held firmly in place, the confusion ends and understanding takes its place. On our last broadcast, Dr. Jennings was talking about the sanctuary service put in place by God for the children of Israel so they could see visually what was happening spiritually in this world. We ended our last program with the realization that a record is being kept about us and our lives in heaven. Here's what Dr. Jennings said next.
1: What are the records in heaven. Let's see what that reality actually is. Are they parchments? Are they books? Are they some magnetic data recording systems? Well, what is recorded in the heavenly books or the heavenly records? What's actually recorded there? Daniel 12.1, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress Such has not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be delivered. Or Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. In Scripture, What does the name symbolize or represent? Character. What is recorded in the heavenly records? Or is the character, the individuality, the identity, and from our earlier talks, you could say the psyche, the software, the soul, what makes you uniquely you, your personhood is recorded there, your name. One of the founders of the SDA church who actually helped develop this heavenly sanctuary doctrine wrote the following. Remember, your character is being photographed by the great master artist in the record books of heaven. As minutely as the face is reproduced upon the polished plate of the artist. What do the books of heaven say in your case? Are you conforming your character to the pattern Jesus Christ? Are you washing your robes of character and making them white in the blood of the lamb? Do you notice there's several metaphors here, including the robe of righteousness, but the robe of righteousness is also a metaphor for your character. Remember, where did sin begin? Well, it began in heaven, but when Adam and Eve sinned, did God get changed? Did God's law get changed? did the heart, mind, slash character of humankind get changed? So the plan of salvation is Christ working to restore in man his It's No longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. So the spirit temple, the place where God dwells with his spirit, your hearts, my hearts have been contaminated by sin, by fear, by selfishness, and it needs to be cleansed. And thus... Our characters need to be washed, metaphorically, in the blood, the life of Christ, so it's no longer I that live, that Christ lives in me. So at death, remember from our earlier talk, the body returns to dust, the spirit, life energy, returns to God who gave it. And what about the soul, the psyche, the individuality? Where does that go? To the heavenly records That's where your name will be found. That's where your soul, your psyche, your individuality is stored, waiting for Christ to return, and he brings with him those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, blood in the sanctuary is another metaphor. Just as we talked earlier, when Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me, he is not talking red corpuscles or human flesh. It's metaphor. Blood in the sanctuary is metaphor. If you wanted a way to symbolically or even at this point in time, literally record every person as their unique self, couldn't you do that with their blood? Because with their blood, you get their DNA and their DNA is data that uniquely records them. And so the blood going into the sanctuary is a metaphor of saying, when you confess your sins on the head of the Lamb, and the Lamb is slain, He becomes your representative, and the blood is taken into the sanctuary, symbolically transferring your identity through your Savior, who will take you back to God into the sanctuary. Your name is now written in heaven. Thus, the metaphor of taking the blood in the sanctuary represents the recorded individualities or souls or psyches or characters of people. So sin offerings all year long, not the Day of Atonement now, all year long, Israelites committing sin come to the sanctuary, confess sin over the head of an animal, confess that sin, it's carried into the sanctuary and symbolically placing their trust in Jesus the Lamb, their lives are symbolically transferred into the sanctuary. The life is in the blood, if you remember Leviticus 17.11. But those who trust Jesus are still sinners. When we put our life in Christ, we still have problems. We still have struggles. We still have victories. We've surrendered our hearts to Him, but we haven't been perfected yet. Like the thief on the cross who died trusting Christ. He has now had His name written in the book, the Lamb's Book of Life but he didn't overcome every shortcoming in his life. His name is written there, but his sinfulness, so to speak, which is written still in his character, needs to be purged or removed. So the sinfulness was symbolically removed on the day of atonement. That's the day of perfecting or removing or eliminating all the residual defects to prepare all the sinners through time to be able to stand in God's presence. This is why... If you've ever read in the Old Testament sanctuary, it could be confusing. Why would the blood of the sin offering contaminate the sanctuary, but the blood of the atoning offering would cleanse the sanctuary? Because the blood of the sin offering represents the individualities, the lives, the personhoods of all those who trust in Jesus and have surrendered their lives to him, but they didn't die in perfect holiness. They died with their still struggles not yet eliminated. But Christ... Lived a perfect sinless life and overcame and his blood is the blood that actually cleanses. that's a metaphor. His life, as it comes into our hearts and minds, purges or renews us from fear and selfishness into Christ's likeness. When Jesus returns, and all the saints are resurrected I want you to think this through with me now. you had your reasoning powers. are the resurrected saints, the saved people, resurrected, sinful? or sinless. They're resurrected sinless into sinless perfection, yes or no? Did any person who's trusted Jesus so far in human history, other than Christ himself, our Savior, die in sinless perfection? What would that mean then? If they didn't die in sinless perfection, how are they rising in sinless perfection? Does something need to happen in them, in their souls, in their identities, in their characters, in their individualities before resurrection to perfect or eliminate any residual defects they still struggle with at the time of their death, if they're going to rise in sinless perfection? So, will the thief on the cross who accepted Jesus as a savior arise with the heart attitude of a thief? Will Martin Luther, who was a devout anti-Semite, you all know that, right? Will he rise hating the Jews? He die with that problem still in his heart. So will something have to happen in him before he rises? So when he arises, he no longer has that residual defect. His sanctuary is being cleansed. And it's being cleansed by the work of Christ in the hearts and minds of all who have trusted him. The record books where their individualities, names are stored, their characters are opened. And Christ, the heavenly high priest, applies his perfection to all who trust him. So what is the cleansing of the sanctuary? The final removal of all the defects from the individualities, the stored data sets, if you will, the psyches, the souls of all who have trusted in Jesus before he returns so that when they arise, they arise in sinless perfection. Why wait until 1844? For though we live in the world, we don't wage wars the world does. We're in a war. The weapons we use, they're not worldly. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to Jesus Christ. We're in a war. Well, what kind of war are we in? Is it a war? When you're in a war like this, is this a war of physical might and power? If you're in a war of arguments, pretensions, knowledge, and thoughts, where is it being fought? And Satan is the father of? Where do lies have power in your mind and heart? And the truth will set you free. Again, warring in your heart and mind. This is where the war is going on. So at the same time, notice Daniel is prophesying about what's going to transpire. I beheld the same little horn power. The horn power made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High God. What does this mean? What kind of war? How was the little horn warring? Many people, imperial law model, well, he sent out his crusades, he sent out his soldiers, he burned people at the stake, they make it very physical. Sure, that stuff happened, but that wasn't the war. Paul was beheaded. Peter was crucified. Stephen was stoned. Did they win or lose the war? You see, the devil cannot win the war with physical might and power. He can't win the war for your soul. Don't be afraid of the one who can destroy the body. He can't win the war for your soul by physical means. He can only win the war for your soul by spiritual means, getting you to believe lies about God that keep you from trusting him. So he's making war and he seems to be prevailing until the Ancient of Days comes and judgment was given. Now, many people read that and they read it through a human law model and they hear the word judgment and judgment means that somebody is sitting in, in a magistrate seat and they're reviewing something and they're making a judgment and they're ruling. How about if I replace the word judgment with a synonym and discernment was given to the saints? The actual Hebrew here means to impart. Look it up. It means to impart Judgment was imparted to the saints. Why? Because they're in a war with the father of lies who's filling their minds with distortions and they can't figure things out and they're losing the war until God gives them discernment, gives them judgment, gives them the ability to differentiate. In Thessalonians, Paul picks up on the same theme from Daniel. Notice this. This is, this is going to bring some pieces together. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way for the day will not come. Talking about the second coming. Until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worship so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. What does lawless mean? One who denies God's law. One who operates outside of, transgresses. He is out of harmony with the law. He's lawless. He's no longer operating on love. He's not operating on truth. He's not operating on liberty. He is operating on lies, fear, coercion, selfishness. He's lawless. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that's called God, sets himself up in God's temple. This is not in heaven. What temple would he be setting himself up in? The spirit temple. So God is saying through his inspired penman that there is a power that is going to come that is going to contaminate the spirit temple. In fact, he's going to distort our view of God so deeply that people will come to think of God to be like this other being, this lawless one. And he will be set up in our temples, the spirit temple.
0: And again, looks like our time is gone for now, but we'll continue from right here on our next show. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Be sure to check out comeandreason.com for the many resources that Dr. Jennings and his team have made available for our own personal journey of discovery. This is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at ComeAndReason.com This is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings inviting you to join us the next time we Come and Reason together.